What's up, everybody? We are back for a bonus episode again, and I've got Joe here with me. Joe, always a pleasure to have you, my friend. Always a pleasure. Thank you so much, Adam. Yeah, man. So today, our bonus episode, we're going to be talking about what may seem a little nerdy, but is honestly a really, really valuable topic, and it is the topic of phase. Mm-hmm. Phase is super important in a lot of different ways. I mean, I initially think of phase as like at the recording stage of things, but honestly, it plays a huge role all the way through mastering. So in general, Joe, why don't you maybe give people a bit of a rundown of what phase is before we get into how it can benefit you by understanding it more? Yeah. Yeah. Phase is when your drums actually sound good. <laughs> that's that's when they are in phase. <laughs> that's when they're in phase. Yes. No. Uh, but a little bit more seriously, I guess, I guess we all kind of know what phase is a little bit. Which is making sure all the waveforms are kind of aligned, playing together uh, nicely. Thinking, yeah, they're playing together nicely. The the peaks and troughs are in parallel, not opposite. Mm-hmm. I guess for certain things, and you also have to think of phase as far as like the air movement. The air is mm-hmm. moving forward with the peak being up and it's being sucked back in in the trough and when you're playing back on speakers making sure a lot of low frequencies and things like that are pushing the speakers out not sucking them in even though everything can be in phase you could be losing punch if the drums are sucking the the speakers in on the kick hits i mean Mm -hmm. i got really nerdy there for a second no, right well, get go, but no, that's fine. But I think a phase in that sense, it's like your air moving, air has to move in the same direction. Yeah, for similar instruments. Yeah, it's all waves. It's like water. Yeah, and I mean, maybe just in case people are already a little lost, basically, it it is a wave form. It's the the shape of the wave, which is you know what we're dealing with. It's uh, frequencies are different sizes of waves, which uh, take up space in different spaces of air. And so when it comes down to practically how phase works, when you look at a waveform in your DAW, you'll see when you zoom in close enough, you see the upward part and then the downward part. And it's it's cyclical, but that's the way that phase is kind of represented. And so if you, for example, have a snare that is has a peak of its wave from one mic in one position, but then the the bottom mic, for instance, has a dip of the same wave at the same spot. In theory, those would totally cancel out because you've got one positive and one negative. They're in total opposition, so you hear neither. It's it's what happens when you flip the phase of an entire mix and play it against itself on two different tracks. It cancels out completely because they're completely out of phase, so the waveforms are inverted. So now to more real-life application, well, I mean, I feel like that really says it right there why it's so important. It does. <laughs> but different ways that it can come up where obviously you're not getting entire things canceled out by phase, but there's a lot of nuance to it to get it working better with other sources so that it translates better. And like I said, I mean, it's everything from recording to mixing to mastering. So um, I think that's the core thing, but what are some maybe practical uses and maybe creative uses to phase? So Joe, what are your thoughts there? I mean, let's say in practical uses, I mean, one of the most common things is like miking up a drum kit you're going to have some the drum kit itself is imbalanced the snare is off a little bit to one side the toms are not 
Yeah, everything. You have hi-hat on one side. You don't have hi-hat on the other side. It's not a very balanced-sounding instrument. So when you throw up your overheads, let's say, maybe for the sound you're looking for to get the cymbals, the kick drum is going to be might be out of phase. And when we say out of phase, it refers to like a degree of phase. Um, so when you flip the phase, you're flipping it 180 degrees, which is inverting the waveform. Mm-hmm. But like the overheads, you might have to align with distance. And that, a lot of it has to do with distance. It's the time that it takes for a sound to reach the microphones. So right. you can adjust the phase in your recording side of things by using a tape measure and measuring the distance from the kick drum to the overheads, if they're the exact same distance to the left and right overhead, the kick drum will arrive at the same time Mm -hmm. in both microphones and they will be in phase. But that might cause your snare drum to be slightly out of phase in those overheads. Mm-hmm. So it's a compromise. You can never have it perfect. Right. Which if everything was perfectly in phase, it would kind of be uninteresting. Yeah. Yeah. It'd be very flat, a one-dimensional mix. Right. Phase helps create that space. Exactly. So in that sense, things not being perfectly in phase is actually a very useful creative tool to put things in a space where it's mm-hmm. not all just one tone right down the middle. It's it's a variety of the way things yep. feel and are... Uh, felt spatially as well you figure out what's most important Mm -hmm. most important so when i go to mix and i listen to those overheads and i go okay i use a tool called little labs ibp uh, which is like a dial that allows you to set the degree of phase Mm -hmm. i'll use that to dial in the phase of the overheads if if i feel like something's imbalanced between left and right and then i'll listen to it against the kick and the snare and see what the positives of one flipping the phase 180 degrees is versus what the kick sounds like, what the snare sounds like, because they're both going to sound different. Right. And what's more important at that point. Mm-hmm. Um, being out of phase is not necessarily a bad thing if it's enhancing the music, if that's the sound you're looking for. Yep. Sometimes I'll will, I like to throw things out of phase a little bit to create more space. Yeah, totally. And that can be a fun, creative use of... Mm-hmm. You know, maybe intentionally adding things being not in phase so that it does feel more spacious or separated or even delayed, potentially. That's, yep. that's the yep. way phaser pedals work. You know, it's like changing the time and the phase relationship of the dry signal and a new signal to make it feel more spacious or more wobbly or something, you know, if it's modulating. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean... I think the thing that maybe some people aren't aware is as important as it is, is some of the fundamentals of getting certain things to work together to be in phase so that it feels more tight and more impactful, which certainly drums are usually the most common culprit of that. But even, you know, so I mean, I feel like maybe that kind of covers the recording side, you know, try to check our multiple sources working well together on the recording side so that you you're going in with the most solid representation of whatever you want that sound to be. If it's a super punchy drum kit, like that's going to be a challenge, but working to make sure those drums are as punchy as they can be. But then moving into the mix side, there's also fundamental stuff that can work for you or against you, depending on what you're trying to achieve. And when you start moving into the mix area, I think that's where even more issues can actually end up arising because if you're not super conscious of 
if you're not in a really great monitoring environment to be able to detect it, or if you're not as developed with your ear and phase specifically, a lot of stuff can end up working against you and you may not even realize it. So Joe, I'm sure you've got some thoughts and examples of what that can look like. Oh yeah. I mean, the the typical most common thing I think we all come across is the guitars. Mm-hmm. Guitars are like uh, multiple miking situations on a similar source. Mm-hmm. Where you have different microphones of different brands. Maybe they're as close as possible. The capsules are aligned as close as possible as you think. But when you get in the mixing side, you listen to them and you're like, eh. I always make it a rule to check the phase on those things. Like two mics on an acoustic guitar. Mm-hmm. You want that stereo spread. Well, yep. if they are 100% in phase with each other, there's no stereo spread. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, you have to achieve that a different Which, way. And then that'd be two impressive mics, if you're able to do that. <laughs> yeah, two mics on an acoustic guitar that are slightly out of phase does not sound good either. So it's this thing of like, I don't know, I'm going down a rabbit hole here a little bit, but you want to listen to what those sound like in phase and out of phase and then make your decisions that way. Like the guitar tone that I found multiple times too, the guitar tone with two mics, finding a blend of those two without adjusting the phase actually sounds better and is more the intent of what the producer and engineer was doing than Mm. if I threw auto align on there and align the phase. Mm. Um, I'll find that with drums too sometimes it takes the life out a little bit and it changes the tone yeah there's a character involved in it for sure yeah you want to play with it to find yeah if you have two mics on the guitar and solo each one out listen to them and uh or two mics let's say you have a a moog synth and you're using the di versus the amp sound you want to see what those two sound like separately and then what they sound like together. And then maybe mess, look at the waveforms and see, oh, yeah, maybe they're pretty far out, creating almost a room effect. Or mm-hmm. they're so close that they're creating this comb filter thing that's happening. Yeah. Um, a lot of those decisions. And then it's a lot of low frequency stuff going on and, and mixing. It's especially if you're going to be EQing those, let's say, those two synths that are DI versus amp. And or then a synth and a and a live bass, both playing yeah. similar notes or something. Yep, you want to look at how you're EQing them, high-pass filters, low-pass filters versus shelving. Does mm-hmm. those all affect the phase? Right, which I did want to spend a little bit of time on that idea. Like, we introduce new phase things as we start mixing and as we start mastering. Uh, Once we start EQing, we're changing the phase. Yep, because that's how EQ works. It's shifting phase in one way or another to boost or cut a certain range while other ranges are not changed in terms of amplitude. But in order to do that, phase has to be changed. Typically, something, either time or phase, has to be shifted to alter the way that that sounds. And so we we are introducing some version of phase change whenever we start working on it. And just being aware of that alone is, I think, really valuable. But having an ear for it too, I think, is really important. I don't, I didn't want to cut you off too much, Joe. No, 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 that's perfect. (laughs) Yeah, no, the the time thing is great too. Mm -hmm. Because I mean, sometimes you do so much EQ that you're introducing, especially inside a DAW, or you're doing so much on a channel, you're introducing physical time delay that you need to manually compensate for because the DAW may not be able to keep up with the delay compensation itself. Mm Mm-hmm. I will find that I will mess with the delay, manual delay compensation. Let's say if I'm doing parallel tracks, a parallel bass or a parallel drums, I will move things a sample or two left or right 
to see what that does to the phase. Mm-hmm. Because the plugins may not be compensating correctly mm-hmm. for certain things if you're doing a parallel. It's so interesting. Even with delay compensation active in the DAW. Yep. The plugin may not be sending the correct information to the DAW mm-hmm. for that. So I'll find, like, sometimes on drums, I'll have to move the parallel one sample, either positive or negative. And all of a sudden, like, ah, now the overheads are bright and sparkly again. Mm-hmm. Oh, now they're dull. <laughs> yeah. And you move it two samples, and it's like, ooh, the low end's there even more, but now the top end kind of sucks. Yeah, it's so funny how that works. And you're finding this balance of, of what happens, yeah. And it's yeah. even in Pro Tools, Pro Tools Ultimate... It still has its thing. Certain plugins maybe don't send the correct information to the DAW, but mm. it's being aware of that, going like, man, I'm doing this thing to the drums and they just sound dull. Mm-hmm. Check your parallel, check something that's going on, maybe bypass all the plugins and go, yeah, oh, bypass there it them is. all. <laughs> see if it sounds better. Read some tracks, see what sounds better. Yeah. You might be doing too much mm-hmm. and the drums are just falling apart or the, the bass is just falling apart. The low end is collapsing. Because there's just so much contradicting down there. Yeah, it's it's an interesting balance in terms of thinking of things competing and contradicting. Because on one hand, go back to the Moog bass versus live bass concept. You may just need to have the two sources taking up different space sonically so that they can both work together. You know, one takes more of the super low-end fundamental, while one takes more of the low-mid kind of drive area, where they're not both trying to do the same thing in the same place. Now, of course, you're going to have to mix appropriately or in response to which role which one takes, but I mean, you you have less smearing and less covering up one thing of the other and vice versa. Whenever you're trying to create space. But there's also another issue, though, in terms of not just smearing, but things getting canceled out. Going back to that idea I was talking about earlier, whenever you're working with different sources, even if they're not placed in the same space, you also have the left and right to consider when it comes to like layering guitars, like electric guitars in anything that has like multiple guitars going on, even if some are hard panned left and some are hard panned right. When you go down to mono and honestly still tons of music is consumed in a mono environment, that's really important because you can get cancellation in that way too, where it's like, okay, well it feels huge in stereo, but when you sum it down to mono, a lot of those things may be completely canceling each other out or very drastically canceling each other out where, you know, if you, if you want your mix to feel like it's got huge, big guitars, but you're not careful about their phase relationship and they end up being pretty out of phase, then it's only going to sound good in stereo. And it's going to sound completely different than you're wanting it to when you listen back in mono. And I think, you know, and that can happen with anything that can be drums that can be, vocals and i feel like it's most obvious with headphones but even in a good monitoring environment in the studio and speakers there are times where it's like you turn it on and you can tell whoa that's that's super phasey it sort of makes my head tilt i don't know if that's how it makes you feel yeah Joe. it's almost like <laughs> one of your like going up in an airplane <laughs> right sort of yeah feeling. it's like whoa that just feels a little funky but yeah i mean i've heard a song where all of the vocals were completely out of phase. And I was like, man, that almost 
feels like that was almost intentional for them to <laughs> cancel out entirely. Almost like a psychoacoustic thing. Yeah. But that's something you've got to be aware of is like when you, t- when you're talking about making things wide in the mix or even in the master, the things that you have to apply to get the perception of things jumping outside of the speakers that starts getting a little bit uh, concerning, I think, if you want it to hold up in mono, because mm-hmm. sacrifices have to be made to make those things feel larger than life, wider than what feels possible for the left and the right speakers. So, Yeah, especially stereo widening tools and things like mm-hmm. that. That's all. They're all messing with the phase mm-hmm. to create that. And uh, I know I found a good, just good EQ, good tone choices, good production you can have a wider mix than you'd ever like mm-hmm. following that set of uh, rules in a way uh, than you would doing stereo wideners on a super dense mix i think the less less conflicting things happening at the same time allows you to create a wider space mm-hmm. right yeah less is more yeah being more selective about where things go what they're doing yeah um, where you'd like to create that with too i mean you don't have mm-hmm. to result to phasing tools to, to create with. You can just oh, be yeah. like, the vocals and the guitar are going to be in the center and the drums are going to be panned left and right. And that's super wide or the, everything is mono except for these two arps or something like that. Mm-hmm. And those are hard left and right. And, and with some automation, all of a sudden you've got this crazy wide mix. If you start throwing everything in the left and right, you're going to have phase issues and your mix is not going to feel wide. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I that's, know. it's like, that's okay if, if you're okay with knowing that it's not going to translate the same in stereo versus mono, or, you know, it's one of those things that whenever you start getting into different playback systems, different speaker setups, the more phase issues you have, the worse the translation is going to be, basically. It's going to be more varied from one system to another because things are just, you know, fighting against each other in different places. And so it's not going to be the same every time that stuff just starts falling apart. So I think practically we haven't really talked a ton about mastering, but a lot of the same principles apply. It's like adding in stereo widening is not just by default, something that you should have to resort to, to uh, get things wider at the sacrifice of mono compatibility but other things also introduce phase shift as well. EQ, like we were talking about, and high pass and low pass filters are way worse in terms of the phase shift that is introduced. High pass and low pass filters are way worse than shelves or bells. And so be aware of what you're doing, how it's changing the sound. I mean, I think even if you're not like super skilled in it yet, just see if it sounds better before and after. Constantly be A-being and checking in mono see if what you think is the result is actually the result and uh, address and change course accordingly. I think that's the simplest way to put it. (laughs) Exactly. Very well put. (laughs) Yeah. So phase is really important. It doesn't all have to be perfectly in phase. Don't like stress to the max about it, but just be aware of the, the way different things are working together and working against each other to use that as a creative tool when that's the right situation, but as a uh, thing to avoid if it's something that's really important that needs to hold up in a certain way, that's really critical phases. So critical in that. Yep. And just use a, use a simple tool. And if you're mixing or recording, use a simple tool like trim with the phase flip or 
Mm-hmm. Luna has a phase flip button built in. Just flip mm-hmm. the phase. Solo out instruments, flip the phase. That just at least gives you a rough idea of how things are sitting in relation to one another. Yep, and hit that mono button. <laughs> yep, if everything disappears, then... You got some work to do. To, yeah, you got some work to do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, pretty much. So, yeah, I think that's a good overarching talk on phase. It's really important. It's It sounds nerdy, but I think it's at the core, it's like one of the most important things to understand and have a hold on. So hopefully this episode has helped with that. Awesome. Cool. All right. Well, there we go. Joe, thanks for your time as always. And thank you all for tuning in. Yes. Thank you, Adam. Yes, absolutely. And we're super pumped to be back next week with an episode totally devoted to Dolby Atmos and spatial audio. We're really excited about this topic because there's a lot of questions around it. So we're going to be diving in deep with some experts in that field to get you all a lot of information about it. So be sure to tune back in next week for that. And until then, we will catch you later. Catch you later, everyone. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye.